are listening to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360. Steve is normally with me on these episodes, but he encountered some technical difficulties on his end, so it's just going to be myself and all of you on this particular episode. Which, by the way, Guy Ritchie makes his glorious return to form in episode 158, January 31st, 2020. I'm going to just kind of briefly catch up with all of you before going into our topic of the day, which is the movie review of The Gentleman. So with me, I must say it has been a very productive week. I've been getting more and more into the trenches at uh, my new job over at 2K Silicon Valley. Lots of stuff going on there. Very exciting stuff indeed. And it's been really a, a humbling experience to be able to work with all of the, the talented men and women who make up the team there. And they, they come from different backgrounds. Um, and it really does make it a treat for me personally to be able to come in each and every day and be able to kind of just sit down next to them and, and be able to, to collectively create this new type of game that I think... Um, has absolutely massive potential uh, for people to be able to be entertained and enjoyed for a long period of time. But when I'm not doing that, I have actually been getting more into my Switch as of late, where I come home, you know, typically I've been getting home, I'd say between 9.30 and 10 o'clock at night. And so I'd like to be able to kind of wind down and, you know, have some, some rust time, some personal rust time. And one of the ways I go about doing that is actually just plopping down and, and uh, turning on my switch and actually kind of getting some, some more quality time with that system, especially considering the fact that now that my Xbox one has been delivered, I, um, st- <laughs> I actually, I still need to pick up the device. It's, it's, it's this traveling video game case that is specifically designed for your Xbox one or your PS4. And it's at my friend's house and his entire family have the flu. It's the funniest thing where the, the package gets delivered there. And so I was about to, to head on over there and he has two awesome little boys. They're, they're great kids. And it's kind of like a domino effect where someone in the family caught it. And then the next person caught it and the next person got it. And I think there was like the three-year-old who was holding out as the last man standing, so to speak. And then, uh, it just kind of all came crumbling down. So I'm, I'm waiting, you know, I, I, while I do miss playing on my Xbox, I am waiting for the virus to peter itself out. And I think I have a feeling <laughs> I'll probably bring some Lysol with me and just ask that they just put the, the box on their, their front porch and I'll just spray it down and wipe it down and just, just, just put on some medical gloves and try and, uh, extract the, the travel case itself from the box. And hopefully I, I will not get the, the flu of the year that's been going around making um, everyone's lives miserable. So Billy, if you're listening to this episode, you know, I love you. I just don't want to get sick. 
And once I am able to get that, then I'll be able to resume my playing on Xbox One. So for the time being, I've actually returned to Kirby Star Allies for the Nintendo Switch, as well as Octopath Traveler. And, um, you know, I've said this several times on the program. I really do respect the the type of, of production value and thoughtfulness that goes into Nintendo titles. They really do have a, a certain unique quality about them. And as you're playing, you're just constantly charmed. You're constantly inspired and everything. I mean, just regarding the, 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 the user experience, the UI, the animations, how, I don't know, there's, there's a certain type of je ne sais pas or quoi. I don't even know. I don't even know how to speak French, but it's, there's a certain something, a certain fairy dust or, or magic about Nintendo games that it is very exclusive to that particular platform. So when I'm in the mood to be able to play those types of games, I'm reminded of the benchmark that Nintendo has carved out for itself. And it's, it's a high mark. I, I must say, especially considering the fact that these games are not even new titles. There's actually a list I have of various titles that have come out just within, I would say the past six months. And I have not gotten around to buying them yet. So the games I'm playing are in fact older titles, but again, the polish is so well done that even if I haven't played a game for a while, I return to it. I'm struck by what a, a polished experience it is through and through. So, um, and it's, and that's saying something because like for myself, I have never actually been someone who's owned lots of Nintendo systems growing up. And so like, for instance, like Kirby, for instance, like Kirby as a character is not a character that I will normally gravitate towards like, Oh, Kirby, this is great. I'll give you some more of that Kirby. And in fact, this is the first Kirby game I've ever played, but I'm like I said, I, I just, I love everything about it. I love the whimsical world that, that it's from. And I love how the, the animations are, are just, um, so adorably cute, almost obnoxiously so, but not to that point. It's, it's very much in this, this realm of, uh, I don't know, like just, just, just lollipop lane and gumdrop smiles kind of thing. And, you know, sometimes you need that. Sometimes after you have a, had a, a very busy day, productive day, that sort of thing, maybe you want to visit a world that's like that. And so my hat goes off to them. Uh, for, for the, doing those sorts of things. Also, one of the things that I was able to pick up in the mail is the art of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse book. And um, what caused me to get this actually was I watched it over um, this past week for the second or third time. And again, the, the art direction in that movie is bar none, one of my absolute favorites. I cannot believe the risk that Sony took in this particular direction and how they had faith in their animators, which by the way, I found out, I think there were 177 animators on that particular film, which if you were to compare to other types of, of animated feature films, I think the average is probably around like 27 animators or so somewhere in that vicinity. So you could see like just how they conjured the, this like just 
battalion of animators to be able to make this film come alive, especially considering when you, when you think about how many years of R and D went into it as well as the actual production itself and how they weren't, it was because it was like an unproven format in terms of the visual presentation. They were, they were not sure at all if it was going to be accepted, if it was going to be embraced, if, if it was going to be a success or not. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to be able to see how amazing that movie is. And so even after I watched the movie, I started doing some research on a couple of the different concept designers and artists who helped to discover and define that particular art style of the movie. And by doing so, I actually came across someone who was raving about the art book. And it, it was a, a book that actually surprising to me, it got away from me because normally I, I really do enjoy buying these, these art of books, whether it's for games or movies, it doesn't matter. I, I've always been a big fan overall of other people's creativity and their artistry. And so I, I have a, a pretty nice collection going of different types of art of books. And it's just great to be able to like on a whim walk over and, and start flipping through it and just be amazed at everything and marvel at the, the, the raw skill that's on display. So literally while I'm talking to you right now, I'm, I actually am flipping through uh, the art of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and uh, I'm really loving what I'm seeing. I think it's, it's a feast for the eyes. Grab your favorite cocktail. It's time for the topic of the day. play a game with me, Ray. I don't want to play a game. Oh, please. No. I said play a game with me, Raymond. Right. Lovely. I want you to imagine a character. Your boss, Mickey Pearson. You're too smart to be blackmailing us, Fletcher. Yeah. Sweet Mary Jane is my vice. Your poison, on the other hand is and always has been the destroyer of worlds. You're out of touch, and I would like you to consider an offer. I am not for sale. The plot begins to thicken. Now, I can't be specific about the heroes and zeros, but our protagonist is a hungry animal. There is a lot of money hanging in the balance. Our antagonist explodes on the scene like a millennial firework. And has indirectly started a war. I think you need to see this, boss. I still want my firearms. How do they find it? I'm making inquiries. His name is Fahok. It was spelled with a P-A, so it sounds like Fahok. Please! Harry Fahok, Kanda Fahok. Please! If you smell smoke, it's because there's a fire. 
So you're gonna have to stamp that out quickly. These people are gonna clean house, and you are part of that house. In the jungle, the only way a lion survives, not by acting like a king, by being the king. Oh. Brilliant. really warming up now, isn't it? There's only one rule in this jungle. When the lion's hungry, he eats. One of her associates had an accident. So you killed someone? No, it was the gravity that killed him. Oh. We need those phones. Our topic of the day is the Gentleman Movie Review by Guy Ritchie. We are going, well, I'm so used to saying we because I have my brother on the program normally. So uh, since he's not here, I am going to be giving you a high level review of the film before I go right into the nitty gritty spoiler version of the film. So... Full disclosure, I, along with my brother, are very big fans of Guy Ritchie's filming style. And I have I feel compelled to like give you a backstory into when how I was introduced to Guy Ritchie. Um, not personally, but just in terms of the type of uh films that he does. And uh I first got into it back in, I want to say it was probably around the year 2000 and the movie snatch had come out. I was in college at the time and I was so not prepared for what I was about to be in store for when I was in the theater. And I remember at the time I was, I had seen the commercial and it had kind of piqued my interest a bit and I wasn't sure what the whole thing was about, but there were just an awful lot of characters and I knew Brad Pitt was in it. And at the time that was also when fight club had come out and, and Brad Pitt had started to almost update his branding as an actor where he, for the longest time he was this, this heartthrob and he was doing a lot of the, the more romance oriented movies. And so, so the, the women were of course falling over themselves when it came to seeing Brad Pitt in a movie. And it was right around that time where he was trying, I feel like he was trying to gain street cred with the guys. I feel like, like, like he had this realization and he was on the money. I must say, because prior to movies like fight club coming out, he had kind of this, not stigma, but something along those lines where, the men who would go to the movies, you know, anytime Brad Pitt's name came up, it was kind of like, Oh, there's that pretty boy. Oh, there's just that guy who, you know, he shoots that, that winning smile and all the women fawn all over him and that sort of thing. And so he noticeably started to shift away from the movies that he had been doing for quite some time and started doing more of these, edgier, grittier, hardcore type movies. And fight club was one of them. 
Well, Snatch was another one where he was this bare knuckle boxing champion and he his well his character was living in the UK and and he was um taking on kind of the persona of a pikey which if you're not familiar with who a pikey is that it's it's kind of um a gypsy almost or someone who is on the road, kind of a nomad that like they, they have almost like these caravans where they, which is funny that I say caravan because they, <laughs> they have their own type of caravan uh, vehicle that they sell uh, to one of the other characters, that sort of thing. But anyway, he, he made a point to, to, to start going into these roles. And as a result, all kind of started getting this, the street cred among the, the more male viewers. It was, it was pretty funny, but anyway, that's kind of a digression. Snatch itself as a movie was such a delight for me to go see. And I remember going with uh, a couple of college friends as well as my script writing teacher who hadn't seen the film yet either. But for some reason I was thinking, man, I think that this is something that I, that he's also going to like just simply because judging from the trailers, there was a lot of sharp writing involved. And so we, we decided to have a, a group outing and that really did leave a memorable moment for me going to that film because it was the first time I was introduced to Guy Ritchie's style. And I had not seen or even heard of the previous films he had done, such as Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. But this this movie Snatch was almost like I, if I remember correctly, I want to say it was the third film in the, at least when it came to that, like there were, there were two films that came before and then this film, although I think that he made revolver, which came out in 2005. Uh, and I'm not sure. I can't remember. You have to forgive me. I can't, I'm a little rusty at knowing how all those films kind of intertwine with each other. I know that that snatch was kind of a sequel to lock stock and two smoking barrels. When it came to that movie, though, I was struck by the sheer number of characters in the film and how Guy Ritchie was able to weave this incredibly humorous and entertaining story of this type of almost uh, UK underbelly or underworld of gangsters and a lot of illegal events going on like bare knuckle boxing, or you have your, your bookies and stuff. And even back then, this was back, uh, when Jason Statham was getting his kind of first foray into Hollywood. I don't, I can't recall any other films that he was in prior to snatch, but that was the first time I had been introduced to Jason Statham. And since that time, he has made all kinds of, fun action movies. And I always enjoy watching Jason be able to perform his way through that. Cause he's got this kind of uh, really cool, calm and collected British gentleman. And it, it's always a, a pleasure to be able to, to watch him on screen. And I guess I've been watching him for 20 years now. So when it came to snatch, you had the characters. You also had the witty dialogue. And the, the dialogue itself was also a vehicle for a lot of what was going on throughout the entire movie. And I, at the time, had never really seen a film do that. I mean, you, you, you see certain 
movies come and go where, where you'll have elements of it. But this was the first time where I had actually witnessed, I, I want to say there were at least 15 different characters in the film, if not more. And each one was completely unique, had their own vices, had their, their own flaws, had their own quirks. And it made for something that, that I found to be truly remarkable. It ended up being one of my all-time favorite movies. I would say Snatch is, is definitely one of my top 10 films. It could even possibly be one of my top five films. I'd have to, to dissect it myself and give it some thought. But it is a phenomenal film. The music choices were also fantastic. And so I, I had often wondered... Was this just kind of a happy accident? Was this a happy mistake? Wouldn't he be able to be able to, um, I guess for lack of a better way of describing it, re-harness that lightning in a bottle once again? And so I can say when it comes to the gentleman that this is a resounding yes, that he actually can continue doing what he did and accomplished in snatch with the gentleman. And I can furthermore say that even though that the, the approach is very similar to what he did with snatch, the storyline itself is completely different. There, there is a, a very distinct world. Even like I said, even though like, like, like there are certain parameters or certain elements that, are shared between snatch and uh, the gentleman. The, the entire premise is very much different as well as the, the characters that come up and I, and I have to hand it to them and I will, we'll, we'll get to it in a bit, but I just have to say from a high level, I absolutely loved the characters in this film. I think that, that it was just a treat to be able to watch. I cannot recommend this movie enough to um, a lot of you out there. Uh, there, which is actually saying something because there is a, a certain cuss word that is used a lot throughout the film. It is um, probably uh, one of the cuss words that I absolutely cannot stand. And I know there are many others who can't stand it either. Um, and I'm telling you, <laughs> while I still kind of like, like I, 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 I dealt with it throughout the movie there was, dare I say, a certain type of charm that went along with it. And I thought it was, it was, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a testament to how enjoyable the film is. And to give you an idea, this, this particular word, it rhymes with runt <laughs> or punt or shunt. So I think that you can uh, figure that particular word out. But um, I, like I said, I, I think that, that the film itself was enjoyable. I love the pacing of it. I loved how I wasn't exactly sure how everything was going to pan out. I was entertained by the, the style of humor in the film as well as being on edge at times to, as to what was transpiring on screen. So when it comes to that, 
definitely recommend it. I, I love this movie. I think that Guy Ritchie has returned true to form as to how he was 20 years ago. And with that said, I'm going to chasse myself into the spoiler elevator. You know, going to a Guy Ritchie film, one cannot help but start to take on some of the personas of the characters from Guy Ritchie films. You know, I, I am an American, but I must say that being in a darkened room with THX surround sound, listening to all these different blokes who have fantastic guttural sounding voices and being able to harness a different level of banter as it applies to the underbelly of the UK. I'm telling you, mate, it is a feast for the years. And with that, we have reached our spoiler floor. So just so everyone's aware, I'm going to be going into spoiler territory, going into a drill down function to be able to explore the different things that the film had to offer. So if you haven't seen the film, I would suggest that you may want to pause me. Otherwise, if that's not a big deal, then just keep on listening. So as I was talking earlier about how... Um, the film was, I cannot recommend this movie enough. This is uh, so far my favorite movie of 2020. I realize it's kind of a silly thing to say just because we are at the end of January. There are 11 more months to go and I'm sure there will be other films on the horizon that will be very enjoyable, but my, oh my, what a wonderful way to kick off movie watching for 2020 than the gentleman. I think it's such a hard thing to do as a creative when you realize that you've struck gold because you have several ideas that are constantly bouncing around in your mind and you're never quite sure how to turn that into something that is tangible for your audience to consume and hopefully approve of, enjoy, and can't get enough of. And you see that everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or a filmmaker or an animator or a, a game developer. It doesn't matter who you are. But when it comes to something like that, it is what defines you. Um, and I know that that's kind of a difficult pill to swallow, especially if you're a creative, because you you don't want to be labeled. You don't want to be shoehorned in or pigeonholed into a certain thing that you're known for. But at the same time, when you do have something that you create that is original, that does come through and you're known for, you want to be able to also expand upon that. And so I think when it comes to Guy Ritchie, he has a very appealing style. I, I find that what he does, especially as it applies to this kind of uh, action movie, but, but um, more specifically something that is very character centric. It's very driven on characters. And I think that when it comes to 
what it is that, that, that he creates, you can tell he's having a good time. You can tell that, that, that the characters he has created are these, these, I don't know. They're, 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 they're just these delicious personalities that you probably would never trust on your own if you were to come across them in real life. But it is such a joy to be able to sit in the theater and watch these, these different personalities interact with each other and knowing that, that there will be the, these combustive moments that will occur. You don't know how or when, but they just will because there is such a dysfunctionality, a, a, a just a, <laughs> a wonderful dysfunctionality that's happening on screen. And I think that for Guy Ritchie, you know, when I think back to the early 2000s, this was right after Snatch had come out of the theater. Uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, he actually partnered with BMW and he directed at least a couple of the BMW films. I don't know if, if you can recall this or not, but, but BMW did this really brilliant marketing campaign back in the early 2000s. I want to say it was like 2003, 2004, somewhere around there, maybe 2002, somewhere right in there. And it was when I believe it was the Z4, well, which they also dubbed the Land Shark, had been debuted for the the, the car enthusiast market, and um, and it was a very handsome, sharply designed car. I remember that Guy Ritchie was was working with BMW to actually create some of these short films, and there were sensibilities from his snatch efforts that were also present in the, these short films. And I think one of the ones he did was where Madonna actually was um, a guest star of one of those short films. And I believe it was Clive Owens who was playing the driver. Clive, I think he was in each of the episodes of these BMW films. He was the one who was like the reoccurring character. But in each episode, there was some other passenger or something that that his character was driving to some sort of destination. Really, it w- I I personally believe it was more of a a catalyst for the driver movies that Jason Statham would then. Oh no, I'm sorry, the Transporter is what it's called. Um, I believe that that this acted as the foundation for what the Transporter movies would ultimately be based on. Now the characters are completely different and that sort of thing, but the general idea of how you have this professional driver who is a contractor and their purpose is to be able to take whatever it is or whoever it is from point A to point B and how there's all kinds of mayhem and who knows what that could happen between point A and point B. I think that that BMW were were really first to market when it came to that. Even beyond Madonna, I, I mean, I remember there were episodes where you had James Brown, and uh, Gary Oldman, who were also uh, in, in those those different short films, as well as many others. But I don't want to go down too far into that rabbit hole. The point is, is that after that had come out, I really didn't get a chance to see too much of Guy Ritchie's efforts post the BMW films, post Snatch, that sort of thing. And... I think the only other movie that really comes to mind that was a Guy Ritchie film that I went to go check out was the King Arthur movie that has, I think it was released last year or the year before. And that was a unique film too, but I I realized that it was 
I think stifling some of Guy Ritchie's sensibilities. You did see it to a certain extent here and there, but I, I don't think it was like full tilt, take it to 11 Guy Ritchie. And I think it probably had something to do with the source material. But I also think too, there perhaps were some second guessing going on with how he approached the subject matter. Enter the gentleman. I think that this is exactly what Guy Ritchie's sandbox is. And I think when it comes to films like this, traditionally speaking, a lot of them tend to, to be a lot more hardcore. They tend to be serious, more um, dramatic. And like, for instance, Martin Scorsese has his own brand. He has his own type of, of, of filmmaking style that everybody really, really respects and loves. And, and why, why, should, why shouldn't they? Because <laughs> he, he does have um, a wonderful catalog of different movie projects that he's done over the decades. But, it, it, you know, if you were to compare someone like Martin Scorsese to Guy Ritchie, Martin Scorsese's films tend to be way more serious and um, approach things that have a certain level of, of brutality to them. Whereas with Guy Ritchie, he does have those elements as well, but they kind of skirt and flirt with um, some of the more humorous aspects to it. And I think that that makes it very much a, what, what I feel like is a Guy Ritchie film. So what is this movie about? So Fletcher, who he's a um, dirty, I would say private detective type of, of character. And he, and by the way, he's played by Hugh Grant, which I got, I mean, when I first saw the trailer, I didn't even know that was Hugh Grant. It took me probably about three or four different iterations of, of watching that trailer and watching the subsequent trailers come out where all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's Hugh Grant. Full disclosure. I have normally never been a fan of Hugh Grant. I mean, the, the types of movies that he made when he was younger were more for the ladies. And furthermore, that whole scandal that broke where he cheated on Elizabeth Hurley of all people with some prostitute, some random prostitute. I'm like, I'm sorry, dude. You had freaking Elizabeth Hurley as your woman and you cheated on her. <laughs> just, that does not compute. I'm sorry. Like that. I don't know, man. Like I, I get it. We all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. That sort of thing. But my goodness, Elizabeth Hurley. It, it's just, it's, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's a very crazy thing. Having said that though, he did a fantastic job as Fletcher. So Fletcher, who's, who's like I said earlier, he's a dirty private detective. Um, he ends up finding dirt on um, rich, powerful people who, and then, you know, he tries to sell it to the highest bidder for, and so it's, it's a very simple premise, but I mean, that, that is what is part of a Guy Ritchie film is he takes these very simple premises. Like for instance, in snatch, it was like this huge diamond that was like the size of a fist. 
and you have all these shady types who are trying to get their hands on it and they end up crossing paths and who knows what kind of crazy scenarios they find themselves in. Very similar to this. Um, where in this instance, Fletcher has, he has dirt on this character uh, by the name of Mickey Pearson, who is played by Matthew McConaughey. And uh, Mickey is this weed Lord of England, but like any very successful man, Mickey has um, a, uh, a woman in his life who um, I if I remember correctly. Her name is Mrs. Rosalind. I think that's what her name is performed by Michelle Dockery, who, I mean, she is gorgeous, absolutely beautiful. And the, the performance that she gave too, I, I really enjoyed the chemistry of that, which I'll get to in a bit. So Mickey wants to settle down. He's, he's kind of at that point where, where he has risen to the top of, of his drug empire and he wants, he wants out basically. And this is where the story kicks off where there's all these double crosses of those, you know, like, like just attempted uh, murder assassins and, and uh, all kinds of stuff that goes on where um, I don't know, like, like you have the shady characters, you have the double crosses, you have the violence, you have the humor, you have the gotcha. No, I don't gotcha kind of thing. And you mix that in with, um, all kinds of the, the guy, Richie awesomeness with the gunfights and the car chases. And like I said, these gangster types that you'd never want to meet in person, but it is an absolute pleasure to watch them interact on screen. Again, very exclusive to guy Richie. So in this whole thing with the premise being that Mickey's trying to get out of the weed business, he has done very well for himself. Um, it has almost like a Godfather kind of thing where in, in Godfather three, Al Pacino's character is trying to get out of the mafia, trying to get out of the business and stuff, but they keep pulling him back in kind of thing. It's somewhat similar in that regard, but not nearly as melodramatic and also be due to the fact that this is, this is focusing more kind of on the, the drug ring. It has a lot of, of rich opportunities to introduce a bunch of characters and my goodness, you know what I had mentioned earlier about how I didn't even recognize Hugh Grant being in this film because it had been so long and he's, I mean, he's dressed very differently. He's got um, a pair of shades on that, <laughs> it, it masks his eyes quite a bit. I mean, he looks grisly. It just, just looking at his skin and the way he carried himself, his, his performance in the film is commendable. I, I must say it was a lot of fun. There was also Charlie Hunnam, who I've been a big fan of. I watched Sons of Anarchy. I think it was a lot of fun. Also, if you recall, Guy Ritchie had worked with Guy, or excuse me, with uh, Charlie on the the King Arthur film. And he looked a bit different too. He had a kind of a, a, a ZZ top style beard going on in, in the film and wearing glasses, that sort of thing. And he actually, his performance was noticeably scaled back. He was not as swagger-esque as his other characters tend to be, though he could certainly, you know, carry himself during the, the moments of crisis in the film. Colin Farrell, another person who I, I honestly, I don't think I've seen Colin in a movie since uh, Alexander. It was Alexander the Great. And I, 
I don't even remember what year that came out. That was a while ago. But again, watching his performance in this film, Colin Farrell was outstanding. I loved everything he did. And his character wasn't even introduced until like halfway through the film. Another character that was driving me up the wall um, in terms of me not being able to, to recognize who it is um, was I think in, in the, the film, his name was um, oh, what was it? I had it and it was on the tip of my tongue. I think it was just called Matthew. I think that was what his name was. Anyway, he was the character who was for more or less um, a character that was on the same standing or of the same standing of power and influence and success as Matthew McConaughey's character as, as Mickey Pearson. And um, the guy who played Matthew is Jeremy strong who was a character in one of my other uh, favorite movies called the, um, the big short. And it was driving me up the wall. Cause I kept looking at his face and I was thinking, who is this? I recognize this guy, but I can't place where I've seen him before. And I had to go to IMDB to, to just look at, at his face and study it a bit longer. And it hit me. He was one of Steve Carell's um, teammates. Like when, when they were, doing the stocks and the, the home loans and all that kind of stuff. He was like the numbers guy on Steve Carell's team. Totally a different type of persona altogether. And it really means a lot um, in terms of, of, of just the quality of acting that he puts forth because he, he had a, a very different uh, presence in this film as opposed to the big short. So my hat uh, goes off to him for, for that in general. Also you had um, Henry Golding and Tom Wu who uh, played dry eye and Lord George respectively. Uh, there are just, there are so many wonderful characters in this film. And when I think about it, I would say at least half of them really don't have a whole lot of screen time because most of it is centered around Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam and Hugh Grant. And the other folks, they, they just kind of, they, they, they come in and out of the movie at different times. And at the same time, I think the way that the story is structured and especially the way that the script has been written where you have these three characters that, that do the, the lion's share of the on-screen performance and timing and everything else. It speaks very highly how they were able to have the flow of the movie be so successful. I think that the script itself is one of the stars of the show. I, and honestly, I was anticipating that because once again, it, it's a Guy Ritchie film. He never skimps on, on the type of dialogue and interactions that this type of film introduces and gives the opportunity for. I think it is, it, it is, it was, man, I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear. It's very, difficult for me to put into words how happy I am with this film, but I'm going to do my best. I'm going to see what I can do for you here. I think that when it comes to the setup, I absolutely love how we don't know as viewers what's going on with the scenes. 
I think when it comes to the, the setup of how Hugh Grant is in this, this room that Charlie Hunnam walks into and we realize it's, it's Charlie's house. And there is the, the, this kind of one upmanship that's going on where they both are masters of information and deception and how, when you think one of them, and actually, you know, I got to say Matthew McConaughey's character is in this boat as well. But when it comes to thinking that you, that this particular character is done for, or that the one of the characters got the slip on the other character, whatever it is, we are constantly shown that that's not the case. Only it's not done in a way that's contrived or boring or predictable at all, at least in my opinion, is done in a way where it is very rewarding. It, it, like I said earlier, I think delicious is a, is a, a word that I think is very appropriate when it comes to this type of bantering in a film. These types of, and, and I think it's a multi-step process of appreciation really, because on the one hand, it's like you have the script and the script was so masterfully written when it comes to these different types of characters. And then having the casting of these different actors come in and make the words come to life on screen, the pacing of it, the presentation, the, the performance and everything else. I think that I could not have seen anybody else playing the characters other than the folks who were placed into these roles themselves. So my, I, I'm very, very happy. And I, I think too, I'm relieved. I think that there is a certain relief that I feel be, just because I did not want Snatch to be the only type of, of magnum opus that Guy Ritchie could make when it comes to this style of um, kind of the UK gangster underbelly type of, of world. Because I think his vision for this is so satisfying to watch on screen and you really don't want it to end. You know, whether there's an ending coming up. And I think that's another thing worth mentioning too, is that with this film, I think the film itself clocks in just under two hours, but honestly, the way that they have cut it and the, just, just the way that the plot is slowly unwoven and, and just, you know, the, the layers are peeled back and that sort of thing. It doesn't necessarily feel like it is under two hours. It actually, to me, it felt like it was more like a two and a half hour movie, but it's not a negative slight against the film at all. It's actually a very positive one in the sense where I was so into what was going on and they were not too quick to just wrap everything up with a, a nice red shiny bow and be like, okay, that's the end of our movie. Like that you could tell that guy Ritchie was, was having a good time. And I think that's, I think an added bonus when it comes to films in general is the public has a sixth sense about this sort of thing. I feel like, I think that when it comes to certain movies, there is this, sense that whether it's the cast or it's the director, but you can tell that there are times when they are just having a blast. They're having a really fun time doing what they're doing with a particular film. And it carries over into all of the, the finished product of the film. And I'm so thankful that 
they actually had a good time. At least, I mean, I would be shocked if word were to, were to be announced that they had an awful time putting this together because I think that they had a lot of fun. And I think when it comes to, to a lot of the banter and the chemistry in the films, I loved watching the characters. I loved, <laughs> I loved just the lines of dialogue in this movie between Hugh Grant's character and Charlie's character, Matthew's character. Um, you know, Michelle also got some, some great lines in there. So did Colin Farrell. Tom Wu for as little screen time as what he got in there. Also just had one of the most memorable scenes in the entire movie. And I, for one, sincerely hope that this is not going to be the, the final one for, for Guy Ritchie. I hope that, that, you know, maybe that they'll make a sequel to this particular film. Maybe he'll, he'll do some other types of, of uh, UK gangster oriented movies in the future. One can only hope. But I, I found myself really um, also liking how, in addition to Hugh Grant's character being the, this type of slimy private investigator type who who essentially tries to blackmail uh, the hapless people that, that he gets pictures of or video or whatever and, and tries to make money off of. I also really like too how he would turn them into scripts. Like they, they were literally movie scripts that he would then go to different studios and pitch the idea of as if they were like these fictional things to different producers and studio heads and that sort of thing. And for some reason, I just, I think some of the sensational ridiculousness of the world that, that Guy Ritchie had fabricated. I think that that was also very fitting. I just, I really liked how he went about that. Pivoting from this over to cinephotography. I was not prepared for the level of thoughtfulness that went into the framing and the lighting of each shot. Typically in Guy Ritchie films, they, they, they are action based. They tend to have a lot of fun with more of the, the faster paced going ons that, that happen. And that's not to say that, that his previous efforts had any kind of weak composition or cinematography, anything like that. That's not the case at all. In fact, even snatch um, had a lot of, of notable lighting setups and having the, the, the environment become a character unto itself. But I can say when it comes to the gentleman, that movie has raised the bar for what is to be expected as it applies to cinematography in a Guy Ritchie film. There were several scenes, whether it was Charlie Hunnam's house where like he walks into the kitchen and the way that they took their time with him turning on the lights. And suddenly you'd see certain parts of the kitchen and then you see certain uh, pieces of furniture or architecture come into view as well as um, the color palette that they were using where you'd have certain accents of color or splashes of color come into view. Everything was methodically placed out. 
I'm not, you know, and, and not to say that I, it's not like I haven't seen that in other films. Of course I've seen that in other movies, but when it comes to Guy Ritchie, like I've, I, I don't think I can pinpoint um, other t- instances where attention, this level of attention was given to what types of, of lighting scenarios they were using the, the way that they were um, using the, the, the color of the light to be able to frame the different environments that the characters found themselves in or even the way that the characters themselves were lit. I found myself multiple times just kind of sitting back and and smiling as I appreciated the thoughtfulness that went into each one of the scenes. So definitely way to go on that. I'm trying to think of whether or not I've, I've captured, I think, you know, I, th- I think those, those are, those are like the, the, the main areas of the film that I wanted to make sure I touched on. I do have a few nuggets of movie trivia, courtesy of IMDb that I would like to share with you. Uh, the first one is, is that Hugh Grant revealed on the Graham Norton show that he had not met Matthew McConaughey during the shoot of The Gentleman. In fact, the first time they met was on that same Graham Norton show, which uh, that, that's pretty, uh, I don't know. I, I think that that's pretty <laughs> surprising to say the least. Hugh Grant filmed his scenes with Charlie Hunnam in five days and had to deliver over 40 pages of dialogue within the shoot. Okay. That little nugget of trivia right there is a testament to what I'm talking about with regards to the dialogue, the banter in the film there in considering the fact that both Hugh Grant and Charlie Hunnam are main characters in this film. The fact that they, they, I guess covered all of their scenes in five days. That's less than a week and had to deliver over 40 pages of dialogue I think that is phenomenal. I think that is wonderful. That is that is a testament to how they were having a good time making this movie. And even the delivery, you know, when, when you look at 40 pages of dialogue, the fact that they were able to stay in character, deliver their lines in such a way that was memorable, have the the quirks and and even the the subtle nuances of how those lines got delivered, man, like, like that to me, once again, that is a a part of what makes a guy, Richie film, a guy, Richie film. Kate Beckinsale was originally cast, but dropped two weeks after shooting began. Michelle Dockery replaced her. I think I personally would have loved to have seen Kate Beckinsale in a guy, Richie film. Having said that, I think Michelle did a fantastic job. I think she was fabulous for this particular role. And I'm crossing my fingers. Let's put it that way. I'm crossing my fingers that Kate Beckinsale will star in a future Guy Ritchie film because I think there are some palpable opportunities there for the two of them to be able to work together and come up with something cool. Finally, when Michael returns to his pub, a gritchy brewery, um, oh, I'm sorry. When Michael returns to his pub, a gritchy brewery 
van can be seen outside Gritchy Brewing Company. Well, apparently the Gritchy Brewing Company is owned by director Guy Ritchie. So when I saw it on the, the on tap handle, I thought that was just kind of a fun thing that they decided to add in there. Um, just as like an Easter egg, if you had caught it really quickly, but apparently Guy Ritchie does in fact have his own brewing company, which is pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious to know what type of ales he has there. So anyway, in conclusion, I think that, um, it's not too hard to, to guess that, um, I thought that, that this movie was absolutely fantastic. I think that it is a joy when I have one of my favorite directors be able to get back into his comfort zone and expand upon what it is that he has such a natural talent for. And when it comes to the cast, I think that all the actors did a a really fun job. I, for one, am looking forward to seeing this movie many, many times. I know I've seen Snatch countless amounts of times. It's just a film that you never get tired of. It's always a delight to be able to put on in the background or just watch it because you feel like watching a good movie. And so, needless to say, for me, I am giving this very easily five stars. I cannot recommend this enough. I think you're going to have a blasty blast of a time going in and having fun with a film like this. It doesn't matter if you go by yourself or if you go with your friends or even as a date night movie, this is the kind of movie that is so fun and you, it's, it's like a guilt, you know? Yeah. It's like a guilty pleasure type of situation where you go in and like, yeah, despite, <laughs> the underworld lifestyle that these characters lead and the amount of uh, uh, just like, like the foul language that that's just, it's spewing. I mean, it's not here and there. That's what I mean, I mean, it is very front and center, but you can't help, but love these characters. You can't help, but just love the, the crazy situations that they find themselves in. And you wonder how on earth is this all going to pan out? So anyway, that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you enjoyed this episode, I invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, spelled J-O-Y-G-A-S-M, and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live throughout the week. We will see you next time.